Today on Stick to Football, we have maybe the greatest football player of all time, Jerry Rice, joining us. We have the first quarter of the NFL season is in the books. Connor, we're going to talk a lot about the race for the number one pick. Coaches on the hot seat. We're going to hand out our awards and, of course, a ton of draft on draft questions. But as a lifelong Niners fan, Jerry Rice was my favorite player growing up. I'm a little bit excited today. Yeah, it's going to be awesome to talk to Jerry, kind of get his opinion of all these great wide receivers that play in the NFL today, especially since for so long, Matt, it felt like A.B. was kind of the uncontested number one guy in the league for a few years. And that door has been obviously wide open this year. But before we get to all that, let's jump right into something that is building momentum off of Monday Night Football. That is who the heck is going to be picking number one in this NFL draft. I think back in the spring, we had penciled in the Dolphins there for a while. I know we were really low on the Bengals, really low. I don't know if we were this low. We were like three or four wins kind of I don't know low. We were low enough. And Washington, uh, Arizona, we were very low on. But the point is, this is not a one-man race. This has become very interesting. What are your thoughts of this pool of all these teams in the mix right now? Yeah, we have six winless teams yeah, right Broncos now. Yeah, Broncos and Jets, just, yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I will say, I was not expecting the Broncos to be this bad. I also didn't think that they would be this bad on defense. Like, you thought bringing in Vic Fangio, that's where they would be strong. They've really struggled to get to the quarterback. Uh, they lost a, a heartbreaker to the Jags this week. So the Broncos and Jets being winless is a little bit of a surprise to me. But when I look at this, if I'm a Dolphins fan, I'm panicking a little bit this morning because you have all these teams <laughs> yeah. that you are tanking. You are actually trying to lose football games, and the Bengals might look worse than the Dolphins. You know, the Broncos have been terrible. The Jets, and I know Sam Darnold's been hurt, but they look awful yeah, as do. well. The Redskins aren't getting any better. The Cardinals... Cliff Kingsbury looks in over his head as well. So there are six teams right now vying for that number one overall pick. And if you're the Dolphins, you've backed yourselves into this corner and said, we're going to lose, we're going to lose, we're going to lose. You might not get the number one pick right now. So I think you have to be a little bit worried because as we've talked about for a couple of weeks now, this looks like a two to three man draft class in terms of that elite upper tier. So you got six teams right now trying to hope they get into that upper tier, because if you start 0-4, you are not making the playoffs. It's just a statistical like impossibility. So I think when you're these six teams, you're looking at 2020 already. Well, I'm fascinated by this group for a couple of different reasons. Number one being five of these coaches are in their first year with the team. So you would think they have somewhat of a leash where if this is a disaster this year, which it's looking like it for many, they usually don't move on from them. It does happen. We saw it with Arizona recently. But you would think the Bengals hired a very young coach in Zach Taylor where they're going to give him time to build things the way he wants. Denver with Vic Fangio is interesting and Adam Gase with the Jets because, you know, those were interesting hires. This isn't Gase's first time as a head coach, but Darnold being out might have a built-in excuse for him. We'll see what Joe Douglas thinks of that. I'm not fully sold Gase is safe, but there's a lot of time left when Sam gets back. The Arizona, obviously the cliff, that was always a risky hire. It doesn't look great, but there's a lot of time left. But Washington, I think Jay Gruden is already fired. I really do. There's a clear disconnect between him and ownership in the front office. I don't believe he ever wanted Dwayne Haskins. I think some of the reactions we've seen today, I think me and you were very in the middle on Dwayne Haskins. We never saw him as this elite quarterback prospect top five pick. We also didn't see him as 
this late day two guy that didn't have the, he always right. had the tools. We were very in the middle on Dwayne Haskins where he was somewhere in the twenties for us. And he ends up going, you know, in the top half of the draft. But when it comes down to it, this is not how to do it right now. And, and that kind of goes towards the coach, the blame. Yeah, I think it does. And like you said, there's a disconnect there, which that's Washington. That's just what they do. This is the most dysfunctional organization in the NFL. So, of course, they're going to be dysfunctional when it comes to making decisions. I think Jay Gruden's seat is incredibly hot. I mean, there were rumors that he would be fired if they lost to the Giants, which they did, and he hasn't been fired yet. So I think it's just a matter of time at this point, which I'm sure his brother will hire him and everything will be okay. But another one that let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons. They have started very poorly, one in three. Go back to halftime of the Super Bowl. This team has been terrible since Tom Brady came back on them. And I think with Dan Quinn, you start to worry, is the message stale? Because you have talent. You have Matt Ryan. You have Devonta Freeman. You have Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. They've stocked your defense with first-round picks, and you're still not getting the job done. So I look at Dan Quinn. That will be a very heavily sought-after job if and when he's fired because there are a lot of playmakers and a lot of tools there to work with and an owner that people would like to play for because yes. he's a he's a good owner. He'll throw money at you. The facilities are good. It's a big market. New stadium. I think the Falcons job has a chance to be very, very interesting. I do too, and I'm disappointed because I believed in this team before the year. I thought they would legitimately be in the playoff hunt. And let's be real, Matt. Since Kyle Shanahan left... That team has not been the same. It's as simple as that. You have to wonder. It feels like so much of the Super Bowl influence actually came from Kyle Shanahan. They've also had some bad injury luck, but I can't explain the lack of involvement for Calvin Ridley over these past couple weeks. It's just not great all around. But when you look at this number one, number two, number three pick, it's so fascinating because the Dolphins and the Bengals and definitely the Broncos, they want to be in the running for a guy like Tua. And when you look at the Jets, Washington, and the Cardinals, Chase Young or Jerry Judy would be very nice pieces for both of those teams. So at the end of the day, this race to be picking at the top again, I know some fans do not want to hear it right now. Jets fans want Sam Darnold back. I totally understand. Broncos fans probably want to see Drew Locke. But when it comes to it, down to it at the end of the day, like you said, those premium picks always matter in the top three to get a great player. Yeah, absolutely. And the Dolphins, I I think we all expect they would take Tua at number one or wherever they're at. You would hope so. And the Bengals, I think we're going to see them move on from Andy Dalton. Chase Young would look very, very good there, even though they have added some guys on the edge. The Broncos have Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. Who's now lost for the season, unfortunately, but he's there for the long term. Exactly. And they drafted Drew Locke in the second round last year. So if the Broncos end up with a top three pick, that could be a Jerry Judy landing spot like we did in Mock Draft Monday. So it's going to be interesting to watch it all shake out one quarter through the season. The number one pick race is heating up and some hot seats are heating up as well. Let's take a break. We come back. We're going to give you our award winners from the first quarter of the NFL season. Let's hand out some hardware. Connor, the first quarter MVP. This was actually hard for me to decide on. I went maybe a homer pick. I'm going to give it to Pat Mahomes. Ten touchdowns, no interceptions, a perfect 4-0 team. And they're doing it without Eric Fisher at left tackle, without Tyreek Hill at wide receiver, without Damian Williams at running back. So the fact that Mahomes leads the NFL in yards and touchdowns, no interceptions. That one was big for me. And they're 4-0. I think he's the league MVP right now. It's hard to argue with that one, Matt. It really is. I know uh, the over-under for him was set, I think, at 36.5 touchdowns this year. It feels like 
he's going to go over that again, or at least you would hope so. But if I was going to argue against it, I'm taking Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has quietly been amazing this year absolutely amazing eight touchdowns no picks over 1100 passing yards he added another two touchdowns on the on the ground so 10 total touchdowns no interceptions it's really amazing how efficient russ is with the ball he's never thrown more than 11 picks in a season in his career and he's usually under the mark of 10 so for russ in seattle where he always he hasn't always had the most help especially on the offensive line He's he's just quietly this top five quarterback year after year. And this year I can realistically see him finishing as a top two quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, I love Russ and a guy who's never had a losing season. That's and unbelievable. the Seahawks, I mean, you lose Doug Baldwin. They really haven't. They've gotten some, you know, production out of DK Metcalf. Fourth rounder Greg Jennings or Gary Jennings was cut. Then he wasn't cut. Russ has had a very, very good year. How about offensive rookie of the year? I know a lot of people are going to want us to say Daniel Jones Let's here. Play two I'm games. not going to do it. And he had two games. Exactly. <laughs> Come on. You can't do it yet. Not going to do it. How about this one, though? Gardner Minshew. Yes. He has come in and lit a fire under the Jacksonville Jaguars. Seven touchdowns, one interception. He looks he looks like the real deal. He looks like he might, you know, Tom Brady or Wally Pip or whatever analogy you want to use this deal and end up the starter there. Gardner Minshew deserves a ton of credit. He is my first quarter rookie of the year. Yeah, I went with Terry McLaurin from Washington. When you look at the fact that he has missed the game because he was hurt, I know that sucks. But the quarterback situation he's playing with, and he already has three touchdowns over 250 yards receiving, I mean, he could legitimately be a 1,000-yard receiver as a rookie in the NFL, a double-digit touchdowns guy. He does everything. We know how good of a special teams player Terry is, but he's being asked to essentially be the number one wide receiver on that team. I love seeing a receiver at the top of this offensive rookie of the year hunt after the first quarter of the year, especially a player like Terry that is in such a tough situation in Washington. Hopefully when Haskins does come in and looks a little more comfortable, those two get back in a rhythm that we know they have. Yeah, it's going to be fun watching those two kind of grow together on the job. Now, how about defensive rookie of the year? We haven't seen a lot of rookie defenders really step up right now. You know, in the secondary, guys just haven't made plays. Uh, I went with someone who has been, I think, underrated. Very, very good this year. Chase Winovich has three sacks already this season. He had one and a half against the Dolphins, half a sack against your Jets, one against the Bills last weekend. He has been very, very good for the New England Patriots, not as a full-time starter as well. So those three sacks, I believe that is best among all rookie defenders. So our guy Chase Winovich getting rookie of the year consideration. Yeah, it's a very strange year for uh, all the defensive rookies. Quinton Williams really hasn't played much at all. He's expected to be back this week. And then obviously, I thought Ed Oliver's been pretty good, but there's nobody really leading the pack in stats. I went with someone who I thought had his best game of the year this week on Monday Night Football, and that's Devin Bush from the Steelers. This was the juicy pick before the season. Devin White's been hurt, so we just haven't gotten to see a lot of these guys. But I thought Devin Bush looked like the player as advertised against the Bengals on Monday night. Which was good to finally see because I thought he was a little bit slow Slow to start the season. Very slow start. Yeah. All right, how about first quarter coach of the year? I'm going to get called out for this, but I don't care. I'm taking Kyle Shanahan. The Niners are 3-0. They had the buy in week four. No one expected this team to start 3-0. I definitely did not. 
They've overcome a lot of injuries to get to this point as well. Jimmy Garoppolo is playing fantastic. You have Matt Breida and Raheem Mostert in the backfield instead of Tevin Coleman, instead of Jarek McKinnon. They're just playing exceptionally well right now. And I, I know there are going to be people say, well, they haven't played anyone. It's the only undefeated team in the NFC right now. They have a pretty good foothold on win in the West. Without a doubt. I don't think this is the most talented team in the NFC, and Kyle Shanahan gets the most out of this team. They've played very well. Jimmy G's played well. I think we've seen Nick Bosa really turn it on. So, And like you said, Matt, that running game with Shanahan is so impressive, so he definitely deserves those honors. I'm going on the AFC side of things. I think Sean McDermott has done a really nice job with this Bills team. Now, they were one mediocre Josh Allen performance away from beating the Patriots <laughs> and leading the AFC East with a perfect record. But Josh really struggled in this one. McDermott, I think, is coaching possibly the best defense in the NFL right now. It's either them or the Bears and obviously in separate conferences. So lovely start for the Bills. I think McDermott deserves a lot of praise. Yeah, he absolutely does. I actually almost put him on my list. That They've been that good. How about the surprise team of the year? I'm going to go back to the 49ers. I really thought this was like an 8-8 eight and eight team. I think that's where I had them in our preseason preview. So I did not expect this 3-0 start. Now they do have to finish. That is the key. But this this hot start that they've come out on, and I and again they had the week four bye, so they're not they're not right at the forefront for a lot of people when you think of the best teams, but. 3-0 start, really, really good for John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. It definitely has been. I'm going with the team that I feel very wrong about right now, and that's the Detroit Lions. And I know they're 2-1-1, one, and one, which might not, you know, obviously scream, wow, so surprising. But look at the games that they've played in. They beat the Chargers. They beat the Eagles on the road. That is no easy task. And they took the Chiefs right down to the wire. Now, I think the tie against Arizona will be looked back at a disappointing game that they probably should have won. But I didn't think the Lions would be contending in the NFC. And so far, they look like a team that plans to stick around. They do, man. They look they look good. Uh, Matt Patricia, I don't know if it's you chalk it up to the culture change or what there, but they look They're good. In. How about the biggest surprise as a player? Shaq Barrett left the Denver Broncos. He wanted to be a full-time starter. Really, no one was in on this guy. He signs a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he now has nine sacks leading the NFL. This man is going to be paid this offseason. Good for Shaq Barrett undrafted out of Colorado State. Right now, he has more sacks than the Denver Broncos do, so oh. looks like uh, they made a mistake letting him go. Yikes, man. Yikes. Yeah, good for Shaq because he was kind of lost in that free agent market, and I don't understand why. I thought as a rotational player in Denver, he really flashed, and Todd Bowles is getting the most out of him down there, and he is about to get a huge deal at the end of this year. 20 sacks completely in sight for Shaq Barrett. I'm going on the offensive side of the ball. Austin Eckler. You can't bench this guy, even though Melvin Gordon's back. Eckler is such a good receiving back. He has six total touchdowns. He's been efficient on the ground. Like I said, he's been phenomenal as a pass catcher. I love what Austin Eckler's done. And if you watch the Chargers when Melvin Gordon was hurt, you're not surprised by this. But now that Melvin Gordon's back, it only aids their ground game. They can really give him touches, especially in the red zone. But Eckler, you can't lose time away from the field for this guy because he has been phenomenal. Yeah, it, he has been good. Like you said, whether it's fantasy football or real football, the Chargers got to find a way to keep this guy it, a big part of what they're doing offensively out there uh, in L.A. So those are our first quarter award winners. Let us know who yours are. Tweet us at stick to football or leave it in your iTunes review. We'll be sure to see it. Let's take a break. When we come back, we have the greatest wide receiver to ever catch a football, Jerry Rice. 
All right, Stickies, you know I'm excited today as the resident 49ers fan here. We have the GOAT, Jerry Rice, joining us. Jerry, thanks for taking some time, man. And tell us, you are doing something with Pasta Roni, which is why we get some time with a Hall of Famer and the greatest receiver of all time. Yeah, we both are San Francisco treats, right? That's right. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have partnered with uh, Rice Roni, but I thought about changing my name to Rice Pasta Roni. Think about that. That that would be real cool, right? Uh, would you actually do it, Jerry? Yeah, I'm yeah, challenging I'm thinking, you. The reason why I'm thinking about it is, you know, with tailgating and uh, with football going on, and I like to think of myself as, as having that MVP status and all of that, and, and I have come to the conclusion that when you think about tailgating, it's a little bit more difficult than, uh, you know, catching a pass, running that perfect route, uh, you know, scoring a touchdown or something like that. But what I like is, uh, you know, with Passeroni and Riceroni, uh, the varieties. There are so many to choose from. And, you know, I have always had uh, some go-to plays uh, back in the day when I was on the football field. If I, was, you know, wanted to run that post route, that corner route, score a touchdown or something like that. And when it comes to uh, tailgating, it's all about jalapeno cheddar. That's it, because I was spicy on the football field. So that's one, one of the reasons why uh, I have teamed up with uh, Rice Aroni. Well, speaking of spicy, I think one of the hottest debates in the NFL right now is, especially without Antonio Brown playing, who the best wide receiver in today's NFL is. And who do you think that is right now, Jerry? I think it's still Jerry Rice. All right. <laughs> uh, let me see. Let me. God, you know, from Julio Jones to Odell Beckham, uh, you know, Antonio Brown. Uh, God, you know, but I would have to say, I would say Julio Jones because the size of this guy, what he brings to the game, his route running, his speed, uh, his physicality off the football. So I would give him overall number one. Jerry, when you watch the NFL today, with the way DBs have to play in your prime, how many catches would you have in today's oh, NFL? Well, you guys putting me on the spot right now. Right, we are. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, It's a whole different ball game now. And, uh, you know, players are more protected. Uh, there's not really that much bump and run. And uh, you're able to, you know, just uh, be explosive off the line of scrimmage. You don't have to worry about linebackers trying to take your head off going across the middle anymore. Uh, so um, how many passes would I catch? Like 200 is where I was going with that. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a very uh, modest guy, you know, but uh, – Probably, you know, with the league and uh, the way the game is going now, um, I, would, I would say probably over 100 catches uh, per season. Well, we know you played for a really long time, probably could have played forever if you wanted to. And now we're watching Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Frank Gore. They're the next in line of guys that are playing so long. Do you think that gets underappreciated sometimes by fans? God, you know, I think uh, – no, I think it's left up to the player. You know, I'm sure the fans, they appreciate the players. You know, Frank Gore, I think he's number four on the list now as a running back up with 15,000 yards. 
you know, Larry Fitzgerald, he's number two right now, right behind me. So, you know, you got to love the game and, and you got to continue to work hard. And you're probably going to see a lot of players, you know, play longer now because, you know, the, the game is not as uh, – well, these players are being taken care of now more than back in the day. So uh, they're being protected. And when I played, it was totally different. So uh, you might see these guys, uh, you know, play for more like 16 years or even 20 years. You mentioned Larry Fitzgerald there, and he and he is, um, I guess, getting as close as anyone has to to some of your career numbers. Do you ever look at that and think, "Gosh, he's like, let's see, like two hundred catches behind you"? Do you ever get a little nervous thinking that if he goes off for a couple of years, he might start to get close to those uh, six? What did what you have? Fifteen forty nine catches. So he's he's at least within that stratosphere. No one else has really got that close before. Yeah, I think he's about 224. I know exactly where he's at right now. <laughs> yeah, like 224. Yeah. But, uh, you, you know, if Larry, if he should break my record or something like that, I would be the first one to congratulate him because I know what this guy is all about, his work ethic, uh, what he brings to the game, uh, how he passes the knowledge on to the players. And, uh, you know, he's just like he's a great uh, ambassador for the NFL so I had the opportunity to spend some time with him this past weekend when he uh, broke uh, Tony Gonzalez, uh, you know, receiving record uh, to get into that second uh, spot. And, and this guy, he hit it right on the nose because he said, you know what, there is no celebration in being second. So, uh, you know, like I said, if, if, he's, he, if he's the one to uh, – to come close to it or break my record, I'll be the you know, first one to congratulate him. Playing with a lot of different quarterbacks throughout your career, obviously some great ones. Was there anyone in particular that you had a, the best relationship with? You know, I would say Montana. Okay. I mean, I, I just knew this guy uh, in and out. Uh, the chemistry that we had on the football field, I could look at him and I knew exactly what he was thinking. But then after uh, Joe left, then I was able to build that relationship with uh, Steve Young. And it's all through uh, repetition. You know, how you practice uh, is how you're going to play on that Sunday or that Monday or, uh, uh, you know, doing playoffs or Super Bowls and stuff like that. So it's all about uh, the preparation that goes into it. I, I can remember being uh, – I was pretty young when, when the Niners made that move, but I remember hearing that uh, it was an adjustment for you and the other receivers going from Montana, who was a righty, to, to Steve, who was a lefty. It, it, was that accurate? Was that a thing that like you guys had to adjust to, You know, a different spin on the ball and, and a different look of it coming out of his hand? Yeah, it was very difficult, very difficult. And uh, I used to have Ted Walsh. He was one of the equipment guys. He was a lefty. He would just throw me balls. And because the ball spins uh, differently. And, you know, Steve was more of a running quarterback when he first came into the league. Then he wanted to become more of a pocket passer. And uh, we were able to go on to do great things, you know, because of the way we practiced and, and the way we prepared, you know, during the week. Wow, that's, yeah, that is a long adjustment. Was there any point where you felt a breakthrough or was it just like one quick off season and you got used to it? How long does that take? Uh, you know what, uh, God, it's just that, you know, it's just you got to have a guy that's going to throw you a lot of balls. And, and, and Steve on. and I, yeah, 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 Steve and I, we used to, uh, 
uh, after practice, we would get together and uh, we would just, you know, throw the ball around, work on certain routes and stuff like that. Then it became natural where we could just go out and, and, and just uh, cut loose and have fun. Now, I do have to ask, because like like I've been saying, huge Niners fan here, and I will never forget your last game as a Niner. Now that time has passed, uh, what are your feelings about that day? I mean, obviously, you know, T.O. has the huge day, and it, it wasn't the send-off that 49er fans expected. I, I don't know that it was the send-off you expected. Now, you know, here we are, uh, you know, 15 years later. Is that day one that you can look back on fondly? Uh, not really. No, because I, I thought I would play forever with the San Francisco 49ers, and that's something that I wanted to do. But everything comes to an end, and, uh, you know, that was my final game, and I remember giving the ball to Terrell Owens. I think he had uh, how many catches? About 20? 20. Yeah, he had about 20 catches. So, uh, no, it was, uh, was T.O.'s day, <laughs> not Jerry Rice, but – it was great, uh, you know, playing in San Francisco for so many years. I, I feel like we have some of the greatest fans ever. And I wanted to have a big day on that day, but it was no way that opposing team was going to let me do that. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for joining us. And a thanks to Rice and Pastoroni for giving us time with you. We really, really appreciate it. All right. For more info, you can go to GoTeamRice.com. Okay, guys, thanks for having All right. me. Thanks so much, Jerry. Thanks again to Jerry Rice. Uh, this, uh, Connor and I were talking uh, off air. They said the second time I've had an opportunity to talk to him, and it's like I don't get like those fanboy moments anymore, but that's a big one. Jerry Rice is a, a pretty big one. Yeah, it was cool, and I like how honest Jerry was about a lot of different things, especially an interesting question like his last game as a Niner, but more so that he feels Julio is the best receiver in the NFL, and I know a lot of people feel you know Hopkins is in there as well, and it's hard to pick between them both, but – you have to wonder, and Matt Ryan's great, but you have to wonder what like Julio would have done. We say this about every great quarterback, but you sometimes just wonder what Julio would do with a great quarterback, not a good one. Oh, God, yeah. If you had Tom Brady. That's what I mean. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers is the perfect quarterback for him. So, yeah. Or Pat Mahomes. So a big thanks uh, you know, to Jerry for joining us. And it's time for Draft on Draft. We're not missing it. We're not forgetting about you. And this guy never forgets about us. That's Patrick Chamberlain. If you had to rank the rookie quarterbacks based purely on their NFL performances to this point, how would you rank them? Mr. Giants fan here, just trying yeah. to get some love for Daniel Jones. I understand what, you, what you're doing here, Patty, and that's all right. I, I'll go back to where I ranked them for Rookie of the Year. I think Gardner Minshew has been the best. Um, I would say Daniel Jones would be second. I think Kyler Murray, by default, is third. Yep. Dwayne Haskins, I'm sorry, has to be fourth. I'm not going to include Jarrett Stidham. He threw three passes. One did get picked, but that was just mop-up duty. So I, I think of the rookies, Haskins has been... Uh, and, and again, half a game, yeah, a half. you don't want to say, but three picks and half a game is really bad. And you just hopefully he can shake that off. We don't want to see uh, uh, another situation where a guy's confidence just gets Nathan Peterman here. So hopefully he'll he'll bounce back next. Yeah, week. hard to disagree there. Gardner has just been really unbelievable. And I think Daniel Jones had the best individual performance. The game against the Bucks was phenomenal. He really came back down to earth against Washington and didn't have a bad game. It's just we saw the two picks and, and you know, he had some good drives. It was just a very, very average game against a bad team. So that's why he, and he needs more time. Maybe he'll finish as the top guy. Who knows? But I, I agree with your rankings there, Matt. Hard to, hard to disagree.
Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Next one. James Green asked, do you think the change in law in California allowing student athletes to profit from their image rights will force the NCAA to make changes to student athlete rights or will they be just as stubborn as always? I think we're already seeing this even Tuesday morning as we are recording. The NCAA is being stubborn. Now, Florida is maybe going to pass a bill similar to what they're doing in California. I think other states will follow suit. The NCAA, you can see the talking points being distributed to people like, oh, man, how will North Texas afford to pay players like the University of Texas? They won't. <laughs> the colleges are not paying the fucking players, people. Just I'm read so it. tired of read it. Joe Schmo on Twitter being like, well, there's a competitive disadvantage now. You think there isn't right now? Like Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, LSU, and who have throw Texas or Michigan, yeah, Georgia. they recruit the best players in the yep. country every year. And they're the best teams. I know it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I think people are looking for reasons to shoot this down. It's going to be fine. I think people should have the freedom to make money off of their likeness. Right. And if you have a problem with that, we probably disagree on a lot of things in life. So I, that's all I can leave it at. It's just, it's ridiculous to think this is going to drastically change the competitive balance because guess what? That balance does not exist already. <laughs> there is, there's no parody in college football. It's re- it, it's, there's no such thing. All right. Todd Rice asked if the Bengals end up with the number one pick and take Tua, do the Dolphins oh. settle for Justin Herbert? It's hard to believe they would tank this hard for him. Well, that's not what yeah. you want to hear. No, uh, I think you take Chase yes. Young and get a quarterback next year. I agree. Build a football team. Don't just take a quarterback. And guess what? You'll probably still be bad enough to get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Right. So, you know, Dolphins fans, you guys did this in the Ryan Tannehill draft. You backed yourselves into a corner where you had to take a quarterback and you got a really bad one because of it. So just like Connor said, build a football team. Take the best players available. You might walk out of this thing with Chase Young and Jerry Judy. You know, and then next year, okay, get Justin Fields or get Trevor Lawrence. Don't just take someone to take someone. I think that's the worst move that this team could make. Yep. All right, Steve Erzig, uh, I loved this question. In the spirit of spite and anger, <laughs> let's kick five people out of the Hall of Fame. All right, let's do it. I have two immediate, Bettis. immediate guys. Jerome Bettis and Tony Dungy. Get out. Gone. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. I need to like go through though and find more. There's de- Bettis is such a tough one. And I know we do this act at least once a year and I'm sure Steeler fans hate it. And I'm sorry. I just think it's a tough sell, man. Didn't he average under four yards a carry per his career? Yes. Yeah. That's the one. Three more is going to be disrespectful. That's my fear when we start doing this. Yeah. I, I, I will say I've always. Obviously, I didn't get to watch him play. I've always heard Lynn Swan didn't really deserve to be in there. It was more like he had that one really good play. Same with John Stallworth. Again, I'm not trying to just piss off Steeler fans, but that's what you've always I've always heard. Like they maybe don't actually belong in there because the numbers weren't great, but they did make some of the the biggest moments in NFL history. So if you want to go off that, they should. Um, I don't know about Bob Greasy. I think he's in just because the undefeated team. I also, and I'm glad you're not sitting beside me when I say this. I don't think Joe Namath deserves to be he's there. He's a moments guy. I think he's like you more, just said. He's right. It's like, oh, he wore a fur coat and he got a ton of ass and he played quarterback. He wasn't that good of a quarterback. I mean, the greatest jet of all time is Darrell Revis. 
So, like the best football player yeah. is Darrell Revis. Yes. For what he did at corner to change the position. So... And I would say Curtis Martin is Yes, second. I would agree with that, too. It's very close yeah. between Rebus and Curtis Martin. I love Joe Namath. But, yeah, it's, I mean, you get into the numbers. Like, this goes back to why Eli Manning should not be getting into the Hall of Fame. But he will. Right. Because of moments. He will. So. Absolutely will. Hashtag Tommy ask as prospects, what would you rank Derwin James, Jamal Adams, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Grant Delpit? This is tough because you have to eliminate hindsight completely. Mm-hmm. So... I would say Jamal, yep. Minka, Derwin, and, and Delpit would be my order. I loved Jamal. Uh, and the cool thing is, like, where you have actual number grades, you can go back and compare guys pretty easily. I actually really liked Minka, too. I liked him better than Derwin James. Derwin was coming off an injury at Florida State. His last year there, he didn't quite look like himself. Yep. That was a big concern for me. Delpit has just not looked that good this year. Yeah, I need to. I know Jamal was the highest for me out of all four of them, and that's not because the Jets drafted him. Before that draft, he was my number two overall player in that class. Now, I think I ended up having Derwin above Minka, and as it stands right now, Delpit would be the fourth out of all of them. And I, you know how much I love Delpit before the season, but those other three guys were special players, and right. they are special players in the NFL. Jamal might be a top two safety in the NFL. When Derwin's healthy, he looks like the best safety in football at times. So, right. and Minka, I mean, just got traded for a first round pick. Minka's a good football player. So, he, he abs- absolutely. That's, it, that's how it would go for me. Jamal, Derwin, Minka, Delpit. Delpit has time to make up ground, but he's got to start making some more plays. So. Yep. Last question from Connor Leahy. With Georgia having three big-time quarterback prospects the last three years, so it would be Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, Justin Fields, did they keep the worst one? Or does their system undersell quarterbacks? I think they kept the least naturally talented one, but they might have kept the the smartest. Like Fromm's football IQ is really, really good. He's good for their system. I, I will say I don't think Kirby Smart's offense is asking the things that Justin Fields is asked to do at Ohio State, or he's not taking the chances that Eason gets at Washington, but they win a ton of football games, so it's hard to argue with what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think when I look at it, it worked out for everyone, right? That's how I look at it, where Georgia's winning a lot of football games, Jake Fromm there is executing the offense, and they're confident that he can win them a national title this year. We'll see. I picked Georgia to win the SEC, so I can't sit here and say they fucked it up, because I think they're that good. I just saw Jacob Eason play this weekend. That arm is as real as it gets. He has some things to clean up in his game where I don't think George is sitting there and going, how do we let this guy get away right now? Right. Justin Fields. I love Justin Fields. I thought he should have never went to Georgia because I knew this would happen, that he would not win that job from a guy that already had taken it from someone and locked it in. I I thought Fields probably now it worked out because Fields, I think, is could win a Heisman with Ohio State, if not this right. year, next year. And Ryan Day is the perfect football coach for Justin Fields. So we don't say this often a lot in the football world. Everybody won. They really did. It's like when a trade works for everyone. It doesn't happen very often, yep. but when it does, it's good. Um, and it's going to be fun watching those three guys. I, I'm all in on Justin Fields as well. All right, that is our show. We will be back Friday morning getting you ready for the weekend. And don't forget, Mello and I will be at Arrowhead this weekend. Colts at Chiefs for Sunday Night Football. We will be in Lot J at 3 p.m. tailgating, recording the podcast. So come say hi, get a free koozie. 
I, I've heard they ordered us a keg of Natty Light for this tailgate. So wow, no, you're you're ditching Boulevard. Yeah, well, I think we'll okay. get both because we're in Kansas <laughs> that City. That sounds about right. So I'm not get. I mean, if we're in Kansas City, I'm drinking. I was going to say that'd be sinful from you. What does a keg of Natty cost? Like twenty dollars? Probably like twelve fifty. Right, right. It's it's not much. So that's probably why we got it. All right, for Connor and Matt, we'll talk to you all Friday morning.